Hello everyone, I'm Bill Greco for Tiburon News. In my inaugural podcast today, I'd like to have a discussion about the First Amendment, the Constitution in a more macrocosmic sense, and a rather troubling article that I've seen published by the Washington Times on August 25th. According to the Washington Times, the Northwestern State University in Louisiana has published a new set of student body guidelines in their code of conduct that will limit students' expressions of free speech to two hours per week. Quoting from the article here, it states, the Northwestern State University policy requires students to apply 24 to 48 hours in advance before holding a public demonstration or assembly and limit such activities to one two-hour time period every seven days commencing on Monday. Now, of course, Northwestern State University, it's a publicly funded university, as I've said, which means that, of course, it has to abide by certain rules and regulations that the state of Louisiana has certainly enacted. However, to limit students' expression of free thought. This is something that flies in the face of the Constitution of the United States, specifically the First Amendment, which reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So what does that mean? Obviously, the First Amendment is talking specifically about the Congress, what laws can be passed by the federal legislature with respect to the rights of the citizens. The First Amendment is prohibiting the Congress to make any law that has anything to do with religion, that has anything to do with prohibiting the exercise, so the practice of religion, that has anything to do with limiting the citizens' freedom of speech, so the Congress cannot limit either the time that somebody can express an opinion, nor can it limit the type of opinion that one is expressing, or of the press, so that goes to the same effect but for published materials, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, so holding a public demonstration on public land to express some sort of opinion for some kind of cause, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So all of these provisions in the First Amendment explicitly protect a United States citizen's right to practice religion, to express an opinion, no matter what it is, to publish an opinion, whatever it is, to hold a public assembly on public land, and to petition the government, so call the government out for problems that the citizens have, and to propose solutions to those problems. Of course, the founders were chiefly concerned with the scope of authority that the new legislative body that they had just created was going to have. However, it has been common practice ever since the ratification of the Constitution that all the provisions in it also extend all the way down to the common citizen, meaning that all of the things that I just mentioned that the Congress cannot do, or that the Congress can do, is the same for private citizens of the United States. So a private citizen does not have the right to restrict somebody's practice of religion, does not have the right to restrict somebody's freedom of speech, or freedom to write something or publish something, the right to hold a public assembly, and the right to talk to the government about problems that any given person has found. So, according to common constitutional practice, as has been in state since the founding of the United States, Northwestern State University does not have the authority to do this. To backtrack a little bit, college campuses in the last 20 years or so have become these instruments of indoctrination, I'll call it, on the part of the radical American left. College campuses have gone so far out of their way to restrict students' free exercise of their religious beliefs, first of all, attacks on Christian groups we've seen on college campuses, to express opinions. Professors are famous, particularly at larger universities. I remember a story out of Columbia years ago about students being marked down in classes for disagreeing with their professors. And to hold rallies, assemblies, anything like that, espousing any kinds of 
shall we say, conservative causes, pro-life rallies, things of that nature. College campuses also, you have a high concentration of young people who are full of energy, full of ideas, and they, they need an outlet for that. So there is an element of crowd control that has to occur on college campuses. This I recognize. So of course there are guidelines in student handbooks for holding assemblies, for posting things in common areas, things like that. And all of these regulations are necessary because there could well be chaos that erupts on a college campus somewhere. Again, you have a whole bunch of young minds full of energy and potential. Things could get a little crazy. So guidelines like that, fine. I could understand having to apply for some kind of a permit to hold an event, anything where you have a large gathering of people, that's a liability concern for a university, what have you, fine. However, the code of conduct here from Northwestern State has gone as far as to give a time limit on how long somebody can express an opinion publicly. Two hours over the course of seven days. That's unconstitutional, plain and simple. I just read you the First Amendment. You know what it says. You can look it up for yourself. No authority has the right to do that under the Constitution of the United States. Last time I checked, Louisiana is in the United States territory. Ergo, it has to abide by all the provisions in the Constitution of the United States. So this university, of course, is not within its right to do this. However, why has this happened? Civil discourse in the United States doesn't exist anymore, as far as I'm concerned. It has died a slow and painful death that really began, I believe, in the 1960s with the hippie movement, and it has continued all the way through to the present era as all of those 60s radicals have now come into positions of authority. A lot of your college professors will talk about their antics in the 60s, their sit-ins, their marijuana-fueled epiphanies, things like that. So it's not surprising now that dissenting opinions are now being squashed by these people because they grew up in an era of radicalism, leftist radicalism anyway which was inspired initially by a good cause, the Vietnam War. I think everybody will agree that that was the most backward pursuit that the United States ever got itself involved in, granted. However, it quickly turned into anarchy. Civilized anarchy, I would call it. Drugs were rampant, free love, all kinds of alternate communes were founded. Look at Jonestown, happened a little bit later on, yes, but an extreme example. But you can see the kind of mentality that has gone into shaping this generation of people, which is now in power. Look at uh, Nancy Pelosi from California, former House Speaker, to see what I mean. We have to pass the uh, Health Care Act before we can know what's in it. Again, simple tactic trying to crush critical inquiry, dissenting opinions, things of that nature. Fine. But what it has led to is a complete degradation in civil discourse in the United States. These people, of course, they want to crush dissenting opinions. Okay, we know how to deal with an iron fist. The United States has made its policy to combat authoritarian regimes internationally, the Cold War being the prime example. However, we're now seeing similar measures of free assembly, free expression of beliefs being enacted in the United States. Not necessarily in a legal or federal sense, but look at this policy from Northwestern State. I have to ask permission to express an opinion? That's what that code of conduct provision is now saying. I understand having to apply for a permit or whatever it is to hold some sort of a, a public demonstration. That's, that's fine. As I said, there could be safety concerns if you have large groups gathering in a small area. Fine. That I understand. But they're explicitly saying that if a student wants to express an opinion, he has to apply for permission 24 to 48 hours beforehand, and he can only do it for two hours. That's not okay. 
What we've seen from the radical left lately is any sort of dissenting opinion is not only frowned upon, but it is vehemently opposed. If somebody, for example, is opposed to the policies of Barack Obama, well, you must be a racist, and then the ad hominem attacks, they continue on from there. Even though it has nothing to do with the fact that President Obama is African American, somebody's called a racist simply because they disagree with somebody who happens to be black. And this is the problem that we now have. So through a means of indoctrination and scare tactics, we now have at least two generations now of college students who have passed through university with the belief that free expression is good only if it agrees with the opinion of the majority, disagreement is frowned upon at very least and ostracized at worst, and the only expression of common decency is conformity. Returning to the Constitution here, anybody who wrote an amendment that says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, abridging the freedom of speech or the press, the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances, anybody who wrote a provision like that and then made it law was certainly not afraid of dissenting opinion. If anything, this is an indicator that the founders welcomed it. And not only did they welcome it, they encouraged it, and they hoped that people would exercise this right, because the founders understood that although the document that they have created in the Constitution is one of the best founding documents and fundamental laws ever seen in the history of the world, and I think most people would agree with this, the founders understood that the institutions that they were creating could not be perfect by any stretch of the imagination. So they wanted the people who had to live under these institutions to have a voice and to say, well, hold on a second, this isn't fair, or this doesn't work, or maybe we could do it differently. So they established a provision in the First Amendment explicitly protecting the right of the citizens to petition their government. This is critical in the American system because although we have a constitution, we have statutory law, we have case law, we have all of these codifications of standards that we abide by, I think the founders would have said, well, yes, they exist, but they are negotiable. And I'm substantiating that through the First Amendment and other provisions in the Constitution that call for debate, that call for elections, that call for the government essentially to be dissolved periodically so that new people with new ideas and new influences can come in and enact policies according to whatever those influences might be. This is to keep the government current to the needs of the citizen. If somebody is not allowed to express an opinion publicly, this greatly limits the adaptability of government per the Constitution and per the general philosophy, I believe, of the founders. The founders understood that times would change. And clearly they could not have predicted half of the advancements in science, technology, discourse, and what have you that the country has experienced since 1776 or since 1789 since this constitution was established. So they provided provisions within the constitution to, first of all, amend the constitution itself with the amendments that initially were passed in the, uh, the first ten collectively known as the Bill of Rights, in December of 1791. So the founders are exercising their own change provisions in there, but also in the amendments themselves, such as in the First Amendment. Citizens can petition the government for a redress of grievances. They wanted the system to be fluid to an extent. Of course, they wanted laws and the Constitution to be respected and to be upheld through the generations, but they understood that their system could not be perfect. So they provided these provisions so that the system could be changed in a reasonable, orderly fashion. Great. As we've seen throughout history, certain issues such as slavery, civil rights, women's suffrage, etc., these were issues that were not tackled by the Constitutional Convention. In fact, the Constitutional Convention was so divided over slavery, for instance, that they came up with a three-fifths compromise that black people would be considered three-fifths, 60% of a white man. Similarly, there's no provision for women's suffrage 
in the original text of the Constitution as passed in 1789. That was another issue that we eventually came to grapple with and solved. So there's a lot of good that can come from questioning things and forming informed, logical, respectful opinions about them and expressing them publicly so that other people can hear what you think and then can peaceably assemble to petition their government for redress of grievances. There is no place better, in my opinion, for something like that to happen than on a university campus. Historically, universities were reserved for an elite class of citizens. Universities were, and still are in many cases, very expensive, and they were reserved for people who were masters in their field. Most people did not go to university until rather recently in global history, at least Western history. People like Isaac Newton, for example, they were your professors back then. So we've gone from Isaac Newton to Jimmy down the street turns 18, graduates from high school, and now he can go to university too. So Jimmy down the street now has parity with somebody like Isaac Newton in terms of the opportunities available to him. And this is wonderful. Because of that, we now have so many different kinds of people from so many different backgrounds who have so many different influences on their thinking who can now congregate in common areas and in a perfect world, express these ideas civilly, in an orderly fashion, and in a constructive manner. A policy like one published recently by Northwestern State limits that. It limits the very vehicle by which our society can be improved, and this is a problem. Several commentators over the years have spoken about a soft tyranny in the United States, and it centers around the notion of limiting people's expression. The radical left on university campuses. Again, I've talked about how they came to power. They hold the reins of that power and they don't look to be set on letting them go anytime soon, although that generation is now beginning to age out of many positions. The very definition of tyranny is the conveyance of one idea over all others and not allowing it to be questioned, challenged, dissolved, what have you. If university campus is supposed to be molding the minds of young people into free-thinking, analytical, constructive thinkers, this is not how to do it. Absolutely this is not how to do it. By limiting students to two hours of free expression per week, you're now creating a social stigma as well. We're now going beyond what the, the actual provision in the student handbook is. You're now creating a social stigma of people who now have to go through a bureaucratic process, and I don't know what sort of process it is, but I am sure that it has to go to some board where it has to be approved or denied. I'm assuming it's some sort of a permit that students have to be granted. And now they have to go to a designated area for a very, very draconian amount of time to express whatever they want to express. This is going to draw attention, which, okay, that's what a student wants in the first place if he wants to hold a public demonstration, but it's also going to draw negative attention, perhaps, from some other members of the student body, particularly those of dissenting opinion. So what do we have? We have a situation where you've now made it more difficult for somebody to express an opinion. That in itself could keep people silent, because if now there is a bureaucratic process that one has to jump through in order to express something, and as far as I know, there are no provisions in this that talk about the size of any sort of gathering. As far as I'm aware, this could be one student who wants to stand outside of a common building and hold up a sign, so that could be under this provision. No assembly, no nothing, one person. Again, I don't know if that's the case, but as far as I have seen, I have to assume that it is. How could somebody be encouraged to express an opinion under this? I don't see it. Added more steps 
for somebody to go through to do something like this, to express an opinion publicly. You've limited the amount of time that he can do it, and... As far as I can tell, beyond that, there is absolutely no permission granted to students to say anything publicly. And this doesn't speak to what's going on in their classrooms. I don't know if a similar provision exists in their classrooms. I certainly hope it does not. But here we are. So, again, troubling article that I've seen from the Washington Times today. And it flies directly in the face of the Constitution, particularly the First Amendment. It limits the very vehicle that the founders established in passing the Constitution by which the government can be modified so that it better suits the needs of the common citizen as time goes on. University campuses, like I said, they used to be bastions of free expression for people who were informed, reasonable, wanted to hear the beliefs of others and to express their own beliefs, and now that is being actively silenced at least here in Louisiana in this case. So troubling times are ahead. The whole notion of free speech zones, again, they, they come down to the, the tremendous degradation in civil discourse that we've seen in this country, certainly spurred on by the radical left, that dissenting opinions are bad. If you question something, you must be a racist or some other ad hominem attack, whatever you want to call somebody, that's what you are if you disagree with me. It's an absolute disaster as far as I'm concerned. Certainly far, far, far away from what the founders envisioned our society to be, particularly in a time as advanced as ours. I'm sure if you could bring the founders back to life today and show them the kinds of information and technology and tools that we now have at our fingertips, they would be spellbound at the kinds of things that we can get simply by logging onto a computer. The ways that we can communicate today, a, a podcast for example like this, I don't know how many people I'm speaking to right now, it could potentially, it probably won't be, but it could potentially be millions, and I'm sitting here at a desk with a, with a headset microphone alone in a room, and I could potentially reach millions of people over what is essentially a free forum, the internet. Somebody in the time of the founders, if they wanted to do that, first of all, <laughs> the population of the United States certainly was a lot smaller than the potential reach of a podcast like this, but they would have had to buy space in a newspaper, write an article, or hire somebody to write an article, and then hope that people bought the newspaper and read said article. Now we have such a huge forum with which to use our right to free speech. It is amazing. And people out there, they seek to limit it at every possible opportunity. It's sickening, to be quite honest. I hope that this was somewhat interesting. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. And I am glad to bring content to you. And you'll be hearing from me in the future. So with that, I am Bill Gricko for Tiburon News. Thank you very much for listening.